Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Uh, I am very happy today to have as my guest Yuha Kaponen, who is the founder of a company called Collective Crunch. I had the pleasure to listen to Yuha when I recently went to Helsinki for the very first GeoMob Finland. Uh, he was one of our speakers, and not only was he one of the speakers, but he took home the Splash Maps Best Speaker Prize uh, against against some good competition, I should add. So um, it was a very interesting talk about the work that they're doing around Earth observation and and all kinds of things around machine learning and things. So. Uh, I thought that would be a, a great topic here for the podcast, and so I'm delighted to have you here. Welcome to the show, Yua. Yeah, thank you, and great to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm actually I'm the COO. I wasn't the founder, so there was some oh, right. founding it. And I joined the company when I saw that there was something really great going on. It's sort of uh, what Collective Crunch is doing is is we basically count how many trees there are in the forest using remote sensing data with all possible data you could find. And uh, I, I, we sold our previous company and then I was looking for a new opportunity. And I have the background in technology, data, and, and also like a lot, go to the forests and wander there and, and uh, do all that outdoor stuff. And then this sort of hit me that, oh, you can do all that with the data and remote sensing and also the artificial intelligence and put them all together and then 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 joined the company some time ago when we've been de developing the product for forest industry but also then more and more to the like a carbon segment and those people who want to look at the biodiversity in the forests right so i, I mean what i thought was most interesting about your talk and um, besides of course your your in character wardrobe, we should mention that you you dressed as a full lumberjack to um, to give this talk, and we will have a link to some photos in the show notes. So so that was very impressive. But um, no, what I, what I really liked about your talk and, and what you guys are doing is it seems to bring together many of the uh, many many of the the cutting edge trends going on right now around geospatial. Um, so first of all, Earth observation. Uh, second of all, then using the Earth observation to capture lots of data, then using all the machine learning and things to extract value from the data. But the piece that that I quite liked is that you're actually doing this in a very specific domain. Uh, so in your case, forestry. Um, you know, there are lots of companies that we've seen over the years who just kind of take the technology and say, "Hey, look at all this cool, amazing technology," and they don't necessarily apply it to and make a viable business out of it. Um, which it seems like what you what, what you guys are doing. So um, so yeah, take take us through exactly what what is the, what is the core product of what Collective Crunch is offering, uh, and what are so what are some of the challenges there? Yeah, so there are a few few like cornerstones. One of these what we call forest inventories, and that's pretty much counting how many trees you have in the forest, what's the volume, and what are the species. And uh, so the result could be for the forest owner, it says that you have like 300 cubic meter of timber there and, and 100 cubic meter of pulp and their species composition is mostly spruce and pine and birds. Uh, stuff like this, which would be very laborious to 
and and the normal way is actually you go to the forest and measure it yourself with the measuring tape and there are some 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 modern tools like apps that you can measure the wood height and stuff like this but in the end it's rather error prone and and it's hard work you just need to go there and especially in countries like finland where the distances are are long it means that you need to drive like 100 kilometers to make a thing and then drive back and this is what we do is to give you the inventory and the inventory you can then use also for what we call like a standard forest management practices here is that okay if you want to make a harvest how much is the harvest yield and if you might need to make a thinning how much is the thinning yield and then it goes suddenly to things like okay what are the like the recommendations for operations so what should you be doing when you should you be doing thinning in in the nordic forests and in the finished practices such thing that uh, we don't let the forest sort of grow very very dense because then actually you would pick some trees when it's young away because then the remaining forest will be much thicker and the wood volume will be much higher so that's one thing then the other piece is the monitoring and and the monitoring is was actually the key thing of, of my speech in the event and was great to win the prize but but actually that piece is the monitoring and the hot thing is the bark beetle right now so the bark beetle is the small bug that hits the trees and basically kills them. If if you don't, this is this is the big problem because of climate change, right? Yeah. It doesn't get cold enough to kill the beetles and the bugs in the winter, and then they they survive and then they eat the trees, right? Correct, correct, exactly. So that, that's a simple way. And in Germany, Poland, it has already run havoc in Northern America. And it's coming to Finland now. And, and we know it in southern Sweden and Baltics, it's sort of big risks there. And in, I mean, going to the, to the forest here in the southern Finland, you can just see, see the marks. Yeah. So. Well, one question, but I mean, before, before we go further. So, so, I mean, do you have people in the team who have like decades of, of forestry experience? Because I can imagine this is a skill that skill of just kind of walking through the forest and being able to assess, you know, what the, uh, you know, uh, how much lumber can be taken, you know, uh, that must take years and years for humans to build up that, that expertise, right? That expertise, yes. And we do have, uh, because the forest industry is rather also, like many others, so that you have the guys who sort of go to the same schools and know everybody eats other and, then, then we we are the sort of the IT guys. So going into that sort of industry means that you need to have some insiders, and we obviously have those guys. Uh, some of them working with us who who are the foresters, and they've been very excited about this. That that you can actually do this with remote sensing. For me, coming from a, my background is first from physics and then IT, twenty years and different IT things in telecoms and e-commerce. It's like quite amazing that we here in the office in the suburbs of Helsinki in Espo, we sort of can, you know, tell to the guys on the field somewhere there who have been doing this for their lives, that this is the actual measurement of the stuff and it actually works. That's the amazing part here. And uh, But yeah, to, to sort of break the ice, you need to have the, the sort of the guys who, who are in there and even to speak the language. It's, 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 again, one of those things that you can speak the language of forestry 
took me like six months when I started. <laughs> oh yeah, so I, just... I'm sure. I'm sure that's a big hurdle to overcome is to establish the credibility with the the potential customers to show them that this new technology is actually as good as the old ways of doing things. Um, and so, so in terms of the remote sensing, what type of imagery or what type of sensing are you using? Is this satellites? Is this drones? This is what are we talking about here? Well, basically, we would use everything that we get. Uh, and then what is important, we're looking at the big areas like whole Finland or whole Sweden and areas like this. So hundreds of thousands square kilometers potentially. So it means that it needs to be cheap. So drone imaging, we could use, so I'll, I'll, I'll run through the different things. So the most important are the LiDAR. So that's the laser scanning. And in Finland, it's for the whole country scanned every three years or let's say one one third of the country once per year. And many other countries are having this sort of like national scanning uh, programs that they utilize. Then there's aerial imaging campaigns, which are similar that the whole country is imaged like every uh, three years as well, or every five years. It depends a little bit. Then uh, there is the... So these things are not very time sensitive because you get the up-to-date data is every three years. So then what is then the most update data is the, what we use is the satellite data. So Sentinel-1 or Sentinel-2. So these are the ESA, uh, European Space Agency satellites, and it's publicly available data. So an S2 is the, like the basically RTP, so aerial images from satellites but the, uh, your resolution is about 10 meters or 10 meters exactly. And then S1 is then the surface aperture radar, which is basically like a, a reflectance of, of, and then they calculate different indices over uh, a number of channels. So you can do all sort of stuff with that. Uh, the point with the satellites is obviously that there can be clouds, and there's lots of noise. But the point is that you get it for big areas and it's free. So that's that's the sort of the bread and butter in many of these things that we, we want to utilize and sort of get everything out of it. And, and do your models depend on, so are you taking many, many snapshots of an area over, over a long time, over many years, or it's just, you know, from one photo, you can kind of make an estimate? Or is it is it you need to have this this long time series and then factor in things like, weather patterns and things like that or, or is well, it that, that that depends on on the application if you go to the forest inventories then it's basically it's the sort of the latest thing because i mean the point is that <laughs> it might be that there has been a harvest operation so it, the area has been cut away so if you're looking at like two years or data it's still standing there making an inventory and saying that there's a full forest i mean makes you look stupid but <laughs> when it's actually taken out completely you know so therefore we need to sort of have the up-to-date data but then also the accurate data and of course then looking at sort of this this is one of the complications here is to sort of see that how can we sort of know that what's the latest thing in the in the actual forest so so that's one thing and then there are some other applications where we need to look at the chains over time and that sort of reveals the actual signal and and basically now the if in the bark beetle th there are like two things so what actually happens is there that these these bugs hit the trees and the trees start to resist 
and they get stressed. And uh, if you go to the forest, you can see that the trees start to sort of uh, flow sap or resin because that's how they fight back these bugs. At the same time, they get like uh, they get like stressed and there are some signals you can detect at that point. If it goes bad, the bugs actually basically block the uh, fluid flow from the roots to the upper top of the tree and it, they, they kill the tree. And then it dries out and it, it's shown as gray image. And if you have a cluster of those, you could actually see it as a gray image in the, hmm. in the even in the satellite data. So th that's sort of an application where, where you then, if you detect like now it's already dead cluster, you could see that in the dead tree, but then you need to go back in time and see what happened actually there like before. And then based on those, you can make models that, because the, actually the, the hard thing here would be to detect this as early as possible, which is hard. I mean, when, when, when do you start to see a signal? That's sort of the interesting point. And, and that's what we are working on. That's where, where the sort of the benefits and the value are here. Okay, so, so now you've collected all this aerial imagery and scanning uh, remote sensing data, and you have this flood of data. What happens then? Well, obviously, it starts to be if, for instance, if you start to have like for big areas like time-sensitive data, it's it's actually rather big amount. So it's also that okay, what do you do with that? You need to sort of be able to manipulate in the ways that it doesn't blow your bank account. I mean, that's that's one thing. So there's of course on the background there needs to be lots of development on the actual infrastructure how you move these these terabytes of data in a way that. It, it's cost efficient. And uh, then we basically, we need to modify it in the right way. And then we run our analysis on those. And the, uh, the analysis actually means is that we, we develop our machine learning models, which are, there are different sort of models for different applications. So we train the data with them and the machine learning models then give like results or predictions. So if I can just ask on that. So so basically what, you you take past photos or, or, or images and you say, okay, we know that this area produced this much timber and you know, and we, you get enough samples of that and then somehow the machine can recognize whatever the attributes are then and, and kind of make an estimate? Is that am, am yes. I am I envisioning that the correctly or yes, pretty yeah. In a simple set, yes. That's exactly what it is. In a in a little bit maybe more technical terms. Let's say take this forest inventory. So uh, what we also use are harvester measurements. So these machines that operate in the uh, forest, they actually measure the, the timber volume diameter of the stems amount very accurately. I see. So that's that's the most accurate measurement you could have. But and, but that, uh, that would require sending someone out, right, to do those measurements, to, to measure the, the trunk. Correct, the correct, okay. uh, correct. But but it, there, there are these sort of data sets available and big forest owners have those. So that's what we call like a ground truth. So now we train the model using that sort of ground truth data and then what we call features like at this LiDAR satellite and, and other things like the aerial images. That's how we train the model, and well, then for I I, I I just want to make one point here for the listeners because I think people may not be understanding quite how impressive this is. Because in your talk that I saw, you know, some of the pictures you were showing basically it just looked like a wall of green. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, like it, it's very difficult. To, it, it's just like 
you know, it's just everything's green. And so it's like how you, you know, I as a human can barely, you know, determine like where the trees are and things like that. So I, I think this must be very difficult to then, you know, actually come with a meaningful estimate out of this. That That's one thing. Obviously, the, the other point is that this there are, you have many other channels than just the visual channel. So you, there are the RGB, where the green actually looks gray and or red or something like that. But then there are also the other channels, which are not really like the, you know, you can just take them to the visual some way, but they don't have, a, they are just numbers in a way, 16 channel numbers. And you use those numbers as the input here. Uh, the other piece is obviously what is important is inventory is the LIDAR because that actually gives you a very exact height measurement. I see. The LIDAR gives you basically like a point cloud over a, over a area. And then let's say if you would go to the drone, drone scap give you like it's one centimeter resolution images and drones can have the LIDAR with very high resolution. And uh, basically, I mean, that's how you could do like uh, what what people call like visual duplicate, you know? Yeah. I mean, one one challenge here. I mean, uh, based on what you described, with all these different ways of measuring and different spectra and everything, you know, it's. I find it challenging as a human because we're used to kind of you know you look at something and you make an assessment, right? But now, the machine is able to look at in all these different ways and spit out a number that maybe at, like at times, you know, it may seem very unintuitive to a human. I mean, do, do, you, do you face this challenge in, in developing the models and fine tuning the models that you just somehow just, you can't necessarily trust your instincts, right? You have to like accept that the machine is going to do it differently. Yeah, that, that's sort of the, the cool, well, it's sort of the issue with the sort of machine learning products that if somebody asks, why does it give you this yeah. result these are sort of black boxes and and maybe the analogy to the chat gpt which is everybody now talking oh yeah about. you have no idea how it works yeah com completely different models so it's basically said that okay it just sort of assumes what's the next right word here okay and somehow it sort of just gets to the point so we, when you put lots of data in these models they give you out something and then of course i mean then what is then very important step is testing and having actually good testing data you can test against. And uh, and uh, typically in these artificial or machine learning models, it's the good data for the actual ground truth. That's sort of the key. And with the modern systems, you can then develop these models. That's sort of what can be done. So do you kind of have a feedback loop with your customers and that, like, I assume... You know, the, the customer asks you to, to you know, estimate uh, uh, the amount of uh, timber in a given area, right? And then you come with your estimate, and then they actually go out and do the harvest, right? And so ideally, you would want to know, you know, how correct were you and feed yeah. that back in. But I can imagine that might also be difficult because there might be, you know, kind of a lag and maybe customers aren't good at feeding that data back. I mean, how do you manage that? Well, that's actually sometimes it's even some customers have made that, you know, as their criteria to buy the product, which is then sort of, I would say, sort of a no bullshit thing is that, okay, give me the thing. So we'll go out and see what it is. And then when they come back and say, actually, it was pretty good. So that then, then you know that it worked. And uh, yeah, there are sometimes then, of course, uh, 
And let's say put it this way. So we measure then the overall like stat error statistics, and when those are good, then uh, then, then it is good. And let's put it this way that they've seen, go to technical terms, and, and this maybe don't tell you too much to the listeners, but we've got to like 12 to 13 percent accuracy in total volumes. Uh, and compared to what we have seen that the planners do on the field is about 20. And that sort of gives an idea, and okay, 20% towards 13, but this actually would mean that if, if you harvest, so how much stuff you actually get out of the system or or did you get enough, or if somebody wanted to build their house, they didn't get enough timber or, I mean, all sort of things. So, hmm. so, so, so the accuracy means actually money. And, and also, it also sort of, if you are not accurate, it leads to waste because actually stuff rots there in, in some middle sure. term storages and stuff like that. So accuracy is good in, 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 in all aspects. Sure. But it, it, I mean, one of the challenges is in the geospatial industry, or like I see this in my business is, you know, we, we produce a, a, re, a result for our, for our customers and then, they use it. I mean, we just have an API and they use it and we don't necessarily get that feedback, right? You need to kind of create a channel where they actually, the feedback can actually make it back to you. And often the end user, you know, maybe I'm dealing with a, a developer at one of my customers and they then pass that data to someone else and then the data passes to someone else. You know, the actually making that chain of getting the data back can be a challenge uh, in a timely manner, you know, that you can actually then act on it, right? Uh, right, of course, and and here we see that it, this is actually something that we, here and the office train our models and give the data out, and even well, I think we actually get the feedback, but the feedback is sometimes rather, you know, you know, if someone says becomes, if someone says, oh, it was good, you know, what does that mean? Or, you know, yes. should, should I tweak this variable in the model or not? Right? I mean, or or when they say that it was bad? Right. Okay. Exactly. It's okay. Like, so what can I do? It's not really actionable. So. And, and of course, it can be sometimes hard for the people. I mean, what you would need is very much like a, like a statistical data. Exactly. Where it did work and where it didn't. And then you can. And that's, of course, something that doing this might actually mean that in, in some applications, we just need to go out and measure it ourselves uh, in some. And that, that it's a laborious thing to do. But it it's in some cases, it just has to happen. And then, of course, all these like drone campaigns and whatnot come come handy because I mean it's it's a little bit easier to do those than just go and measure it by hand but how um so I, I, I mean you're based in Finland and I, I guess you've been focusing on on Finland and Scandinavia how difficult would you think it would be to take this model you know to other to different types of forests and different you know around the world yeah so I mean we have been focusing in Finland and we have good customer base in Sweden and Baltics but we also have our first customers in Latin America, oh, wow. uh, in Spain, and in the U.S. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And uh, so basically, these all go, let's say in the Latin America, the monocultures, where, where you basically have acacia or eucalyptus, these are rather straightforward things to do. And then also we have seen that the Spanish forests are, are rather okay as well. Then let's see that... Uh, 
if there's like lots of species, like 20, 10 species in the forest, like there is in some some forests in the Northern America, will be interesting to see that is it more like the total volume or do we really get to the species recognition? So there are those sort of things. And, and, and let's say like a total jungle, like there is in a in an actual jungle in the Amazon, that's still something else. So these typically are, you can use one model for similar forest, like a biosphere. Well, th- this raises a question for me, you know, uh, uh, and and but excuse me if, if this is like an ignorant question, but you know, in in the last six months, we see all this hype about Chat GPT and all the new AI models and things like that. Is the future there's going to be like one super system like Chat GPT and we can throw any kind of data at it and it will you know turn away and give me the right answer or is it going to be very specific models where you're going to say okay this is the model for tree counting in this ecosystem you know in this temperate zone you know how do you see that? Well, it's an interesting question, and I don't think I have the you know the clairvoyance to to really <laughs> to really see what it is. But but my my sort of gut feeling there is that uh, with ChatGPT, I've been amazed like many others, the sort of huge jump in the, what it did do. And and I've done my first university courses in AI in the nineties, and you know following that ever since. And and it's always like you can do a little bit better and and things like this. And then you can do very nice like spot applications like I think ours are, but the chat GPT somehow was something very different. Now then, it's it's a language model. It's not like a computational model. So it, it can't really give you the sort of how much you have forest in some place. But then how fast would all these sort of different applications join? Hard to say, but it will take some time. And it's sort of ChatGPT is the language model, and and although it, there are some very nice applications, how you can see, like make some proofs, things like this, but it's sort of the computation for it. It's not the well. I guess also I, I, related to that, my question would be: uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the difficulty of um, you know establishing credibility in the industry. So, I mean, one thing is having the model that works. The other thing is being able to sell it to to the potential customers, right? And for that, I guess you need, you know, as you say, you need you need the experts in the industry who convey the credibility and and have the contacts and things like that. So, you know, is is the customer more likely to buy from someone who kind of presents themselves as, a, you know, we are the the forestry uh, uh, AI expert? Or, or are they, you know, or are they going to go to just an, a, a chat GPT or, or the equivalent for images or whatever, you know, like, is that a necessary step? Basically, I'm, I'm thinking here of, of people out there who are, um, uh, you know, of our listeners, you know, there's been such innovation in the last couple of years in the remote sensing, uh, aerial imagery space. And, you know, now we all have, anyone can get access to all these, you know, satellite images at a, at a much lower cost than ever possible before. So the question is what to do with that. Should I, should I, should I target some, some narrow niche, you know, and like, uh, uh, and be the expert in that space? Or should I try to, to think about like, how do I integrate this across everything? Or, you know, how do you? Well, 
definitely, I mean, business models, let's say that if you're somebody who thinks about how I would like to make a business or start up on this area and make some money or living or whatever, I think you always have the different approaches, either going to the niche and trying to be really good at that. And and then it is more like, okay, is there enough business there? Is there somebody to pay? Or you might have the more spread like a consultancy approach that, okay, I I I... I'm good with these skills and these techniques with this data, and I'll just try to apply it to like much more exactly, way exactly, and make my living that way. So I think you have all those options there, and and we are seeing also other companies doing different things. And I guess also Collective Crunch is definitely one of those who has been sort of looking at early days okay, there is all this satellite data and there is all this lighter data. So what you can do with those plus then the, with, with the machine learning models. And uh, I guess in this forestry business specifically, this is sort of a typical business-to-business sales in that sense. I've been in telecommunications earlier, so references do matter. These are usually big companies buying these products and, and they look at the references. They also do their own like pilots and they want to see the data. They sometimes look at different options and they pick the best of course i mean the, the one vision is to provide this to everybody we have like lots of private and small forest owners in finland and many other countries so how could they benefit with this as as well so there are definitely those models as well but it's i think in a way it's sort of something you, you need to get something working first <laughs> if you want to go deep or then then, then the consultancy option, sort of being expert with this, your tools. Because of course we partner with some guys who who are really good in some parts of this processing some of this data or or, or whatever. So there's always the well, it was it was very impressive what you showed us. So um, so what what's what's next for Collective Crunch? What are what what are the new technologies and new things that are exciting, getting you excited, and new new techniques, or is it just more geographic expansion, or what what? Um... Well, definitely the the where where the weight is, or what is like we see as very important is uh, is the, what we call it's our product, Linda Planet, but it's it's looking at what is the carbon balance because the carbon balance is tied to the wood volume. And, and how to sort of show the changes in that carbon balance, that's like definitely like a new, it's maybe more like a new application because it's really like the mapping from the volume to the carbon tied into the tree trunks is rather straightforward, like an established science. Uh, so that's one thing. The other big thing that is coming up is what's called biodiversity. And uh, in biodiversity, that's, there's like, lots of interest for it lots of people would like to sort of somehow measure it what is it and there is there's all sort of things that we know that one of the markers are the dead trees uh, the dead trees in the forest mean that then there is many other topics and and what other data sets are available for the biomarkers and and then i know that on that field there are some other completely other fields where they collect all the possible dna from the area you know and that's a marker of biodiversity I don't know if we go there. And then for how, how you can use remote sensing for that, obviously, like higher resolution imaging would help you a lot because then you can start to detect much more. And then, then I mean, 
uh, th- there are all sort of interesting stuff. I had a chat with the Finnish, like a Zeppelin company, and and they they want to do like the aerial imaging over whole Finland with one meter res- uh, one centimeter resolution soon. So wow. I mean stuff like this. So um, <laughs> so once we get that, I mean then you can. Well, we almost don't see, almost see the park people. Yeah, that that reminds me of my <laughs> my world map that I'm working on with the one to one scale. Um, so yeah. Um, all right, yo. I guess we should we should wrap up here. Any any thoughts you want to leave listeners with, or any um, any advice to anyone out there who's who's starting to work in kind of this this space, or what what what, what can we? How can we sum things up here? Well, I mean, to me, it has been like a great ride. I, I joined the field sometime a few years ago, and I was looking at where you can look at the nature, look at the data, and you can do something meaningful, and it has been really interesting for me. So if there's anybody else, I just with great luck, and uh, yeah. All right. On that, on that, that's always good advice. What, how, how can people get in touch with you if they have questions or they, uh, they want to learn a bit more? Yeah, I, you can find me in LinkedIn as Juha Koponen or my email address is jk at collective. Fantastic. We will make sure to get uh, all the relevant links in the show notes so anyone can um, can click through. And, and we'll also include a picture of you in your, your lumberjack outfit. So uh, also always good. So <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is GeoMob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a GeoMob event soon.